This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammie here. Ooh, today on the podcast, Kelly Fields, a newer friend of mine who is a James Beard award-winning pastry chef and just like very cool person. So I loved meeting Kelly in Provincetown this summer and I loved this conversation. Also, do you want to come see me do stand-up? Because I am going to be in San Francisco on November 12th. I will be in Seattle November 20th. I will be in Chicago December 30th and 31st. Why don't you come to those shows? CameronEsposito.com for tickets. Moi. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good, yeah. Um, we're just going to hop in. I always have Go guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Kelly Fields. Uh, I live in Provincetown, Massachusetts now, but I was a chef and restaurant owner in New Orleans, Louisiana for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, we met in Provincetown this summer because I was there um, to my friends, often rent a place there, <laughs> and I had a couple days off between tour stops, and I got myself out to Provincetown. Maybe folks who don't, I wonder if... You know, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners who don't even know what we're talking about, but it's like a it's a seaside town that is at the very end of Cape Cod. You will fall into the sea if you go any further. And it's also a like artist colony and it is very gay. It's the gayest place on earth, perhaps. It's very gay. When did you start? When did you first go to P-Town? Um, I started coming here probably about three years ago. And then... Um, after I left New Orleans, I landed in Boston for a hot minute and just ended up here. And now I just refuse to leave. <laughs> so you're like a you're like a winter resident, which is an unusual thing. Yes, it's, it's definitely like a resort. Community. Yeah, it's that it's a commitment to be here year round. It gets very small. Everything shuts down. There's like three restaurants open um, and you see the same like 20 people. Anytime you leave your house for four months. Well, let's talk a little bit about New Orleans for a second. Because, okay. um, yeah, I mean, this is some of the stuff I, I really enjoyed talking to you, like every time that we were in a group or just the two of us. And I think something mm-hmm. that, that I was taken with was like how much experience you'd had in a career where it's like very self driven, very self motivated, very, uh, exhausting and all-consuming and there was just mm-hmm. a lot that I I think I relate to about the chef lifestyle uh, sure <laughs> there's some overlap um but then we are also people who are like an amount into our lives or careers so not necessarily like with the energy of a brand new baby trying to make it and emerge but maybe you could take me back to that moment like you're getting into uh, this life that you have now or the life that you 
had in New Orleans? Well, it started in the 90s, uh, my cooking career. I mean, I had grown up cooking with my mom and my grandmas all the time. My mom grew most of our own food in our backyard, or we had a plot of land where we grew stuff. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so it was always part of what I did. Uh, it was always, like, my responsibility as, or, like, a weekly chore was to cook dinner X amount of times. I have two siblings. Neither one is, is can cook, so I always <gasps> traded. I always traded, like, doing the dishes or raking the yard or whatever. Oh, that's so cooking. interesting. Yeah. Do we, and, but you always could? You, like, it always it always just came to you kind of a thing? Um, I always loved it. Yeah. Um, Looking back, I probably wasn't very good at it. I had no idea what I was doing, but I would like grab the joy of cooking off the shelf and try something new. And when you were a child, are we talking about in yeah. childhood? Yeah, like <laughs> awesome. I think I started cooking around the age of like eight, like for the family, right? Wow. Um, but it was not. And where it was not were you a, that you? I had was this- in Char- Charleston, South Carolina. And there's food in your backyard. You've the joy of cooking. You're eight. You're reading yeah. a recipe. You're making dinner for the family. Keep going. Yeah, we like lived on the water so I could fish or shrimp or whatever right in the backyard. Um, I look back on it a lot with a lot more fondness than I did back then. I'll say that. Tell, um, do you want to talk about that at all or do you want to skip through that? We could skip through that. Yeah. No, okay. now it sounds really idyllic childhood. But when I was a kid, I, I wasn't appreciative of everything that was around me. Um, so cooking wasn't an option, like it wasn't a career at that point. There was no food network. There was no, um, you know, New York times cooking or like all of the things that are popular now, like chefs were not celebrities. Chefs were not rock stars. Right. That's true. And then I moved to New Orleans in 1996. Um, I mean, hang on. I want to go back to that for a second. Like beyond Julia Child. Was there anybody that you were even aware of who, like, and I mean, were you aware of? I feel like I was aware of Julia Child because yeah. she, she was, like, on PBS. Yeah, but, like, Julia Child, uh, Jacques Pepin, and that was that was about it for me. And then moving to New Orleans, you get to know good food pretty quickly there. I mean, it's it's everywhere. And a friend of mine, her parents owned a bakery, and they needed help one night, and I went in to help them. Immediately fell in love, quit everything I was doing in my life, gave up the idea of college, everything, and started at that bakery full time the next week. And that's, I haven't, I had not stopped until I stopped a year and a half ago. Um, And so I worked there for a little bit. And then I, I talked to my grandmother and she said, if this is what you want to do, you should do it. Find somebody you want to emulate and go work for them. Here's a follow-up question. When, yeah. What age are you? At this point, I'm 17, 18. I mean, bakery hours and the lifestyle of an 18-year-old do, In not, New Orleans. S- <laughs> do not seem to... Uh, no, they don't coincide at all. No, they don't yeah. exist naturally in the world at all. But I was committed. Like I would. What pass. did you do? Just not sleep? Or did you yes. make it work? I, both. Both uh, not sleeping has a lot of lot to do with making it work. Mm-hmm. Um, I would often pass my friends coming home from the bar at, like at three a.m. when I was going to work. Yeah, that that yeah. tracks. That's that was a lot of my life. It still is sometimes. Now that I'm and what stuff again. did this bakery bake? What was like this? Um, they did you know birthday cakes. They did 
um, a bunch of different bread and just like basic Southern bakery staples that you find in any Southern bakery. So it wasn't like, it wasn't super advanced. It wasn't fancy. It was just like food people wanted to eat. And were is, are biscuits included in that? Always. Always. Because <laughs> you brought over some biscuits. Uh, and I mean, also, like, I'm not from the South. And I, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, from Chicago. I think Chicago has its own relationship to food. I mean, I didn't grow up, like, kind of nobody eats anything healthy in Chicago. <laughs> like, like, it's like, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of meat. Um, I grew up in an Italian households, like a lot of pasta. I mean, I guess, like, You'd have like a vegetable, but it's like certainly not the vibe. I think it's like a lot of like pizza, hot dogs and stuff like that. And then it's a strong drinking culture, but the drinks Mm. are like not cocktail. It's like beer. It's a beer culture. So the food that I grew up around, I mean, now I will say like there are certainly legendary and very successful restaurants in Chicago. Like it's a it's like a foodie destination. Um, But but growing up there, it's not like the same thing, I think, as the South in terms of like the stuff passed down, you know, amongst generations and like your grandparents biscuit recipe or like the sort of the way I think about Southern food and Southern right. food culture. I think it's really different. Mm-hmm. So everything you're talking about has are is already outside of my experience when you're talking about shrimping in the backyard. I already don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but then you're yeah. talking about getting up, you know, and baking biscuits and things like that. So this is all, this is a different life. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different life. Totally different life. Um, so I traveled the world a lot. Let me think, let me go back. My same grandmother that told me to find who I wanted to emulate and go work for them. After I did that, I went to work for Susan Spicer in New Orleans. She had just won a Jim Spirit Award. The Food Network was up and coming. And so she was on it a lot. Um, and she was like the chef of New Orleans. And so I went to work for her and that's where I would pass my friends in the street. And then after a while of working for her, my grandmother started nagging me about getting a college degree. And so I went to Johnson & Wales University when they had a campus in Charleston. So I went back home, um, did the pastry program there and then moved right back to New Orleans and started as the executive pastry chef at a restaurant called Restaurant August um, right after it opened, which was very fancy. Still is very fancy. Um, And that sort of started the upward trek of my like professional profile. Up, Go ahead. The A fancy restaurant. I don't think I... So like my... All right, I've read Kitchen Confidential, which also okay. <laughs> actually had a large portion of that actually takes place in Provincetown. Although mm-hmm. the like Portuguese like food side of Provincetown, that's like Anthony Bourdain's book. What else? What is my other experience with this? I don't know. Fucking Food Network, like probably. Yeah. But I, I don't think I or like Gordon Ramsay stuff. You know, I don't think mm-hmm. I like know what the vibe is like in a fancy restaurant. Um, like you walking in there as the just the executive pastry chef executive pastry chef yeah so like is that uh is it a lot of dudes do you fit in there like when you're showing up is that like does that is it fancy behind the scenes is oh, it yeah. not fancy like what's the vibe what's the vibe so in the kitchen the vibe is i was the only uh female in in the building um the the kitchen was divided 
between first floor and second floor. So pastry was on the second floor. So I had a little bit of a buffer away from all the dudes. But when we were at work, like they checked the color of your socks. They checked like piercings, like tattoos. Cut, like it was old school fancy. Because the color of the socks has to be white? Or yeah. what does it have to be? White or black. Okay. White or black. Um, they checked your coat to make sure it was ironed and your apron. Like you had to be clean and pressed even back in the house. Wow. Um, the, the guy who ran the kitchen at that time tried to run it all in French because he was just, you know. Do you speak French? Uh, not that much, okay. <laughs> especially at that time. And, uh, you know, I was in over my head to start with. So I, I was already doing things out of spite because this guy like looked at me and he's like, you won't last a month. I'm not going to learn your name. And so I was just like, fuck that guy. I'm going to prove him wrong. And so I worked like 7 a.m. to midnight almost every day, just like trying to get up to speed, trying to understand what I was doing, what I was supposed to do, be doing, like how it all worked, because I had no idea. What is it? What, what kinds of what kinds of stuff were you making? What was this particular? Um, it was a very making? fancy. I had to make for every customer that came in, like between entree and dessert, you get an intermezzo. So I had to come up with a new one of those every day. And it was like anywhere from 150 to 300 people a night. And it was like me and one other person working. Um, then I had to have a dessert menu that was six items of like really fancy, elegant. Like what's a fancy dessert? Like we did like a very like fancy version of like New Orleans classics. So there was uh, a really over-constructed bread pudding with ice cream. That was going to be my first guess. That was going to be my first guess. Oh, I'm better than I thought. Yeah, and then I think I had, like, uh, goat's milk cheesecake, like, burnt honey ice cream with, like, balsamic and honey on it with bee pollen. Just, like, overthought versions of what good New Orleans desserts are, if that makes sense. So, do you... Do you like here's just a dumb follow-up question, but like are you a are you a sweets guy? Do you like dessert stuff? Or just, is this like just where you ended up landing and the stuff you started studying? So I was studying chemistry in college before I started baking. So like the science part of it really drew me in. Um I certainly get a sweet tooth, but I tend to make desserts the way that I would like to eat them because I don't like overly overly sweet overly sized just like i don't want like a giant piece of sweet cake like i want to eat something that's really interesting so i i'm drawn to sweets because of science and how to make it interesting to eat that's so interesting to me because that is i like love to cook but i am not a details guy (laughs) and i (laughs) and i certainly have no patience so I like baking, fucking forget it. Like I'm not, I don't do that. Um, mm-hmm. My like sister bakes or my wife bakes, but like I don't, I, and I don't never had me. that gene yeah. growing up, you know, like I don't care about that at all, but I understand because of people around me, like what you're talking, like I understand why I don't like it. It's exactly right. for the reason right. that you do like it is like, I want to get up and do stand up in front of people and have like immediate response and like work in the moment to like, I'd rather have something on the stove and like taste it and be like, Oh, it needs these things and like work it out over time. 
without a recipe like that's that like I have a strong affinity for that personality wise Mm -hmm. and I really respect folks that have this other thing because I have like almost none of that in me uh and and I I totally get what you mean yeah like like making all the decisions and then the result is just gonna happen like that is so different yeah you might it might be three days later and you're like oh I messed something up and you're three days into the project. I love it. Like, obviously that's frustrating, but I also love the, like, what did I do? What did I miss? What happened? Figuring it out. But that job in particular taught me how to do that in the style of which people cook because it was so fast-paced. Mm. And then every day was a new dessert menu. Every day was new uh, intermezzos. And then there were little candies and treats after the meal that everybody got. So I had to learn how to do all these baking precise things like as fast as possible without like proper equipment. Like I didn't have an oven in that kitchen for a year and a half. What did you do? I steamed a lot of stuff. Oh, wow. Okay. That's wild. What about a blowtorch? Did you ever use a blowtorch? I use a blowtorch all the time, actually. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, As often as possible, really. Yeah. Yeah, I steamed stuff. I made a lot of custards, cooked everything every way you can imagine, except for an oven. What can you steam? Like a cake? Yeah, you can steam a cake. It just doesn't really get a crust. But like you could steam bread pudding and that would yeah. probably be the right texture even. I'm I'm making yeah. this up out of... No, more, no, it's but right. Because I mean, essentially bread pudding is just a custard. So you like the way that you create a water bath with a creme brulee or a cheesecake, like you're just essentially baking it that way so it's slow and it gets really it gets really nice texture actually it might be better steamed back for another game you know it what's going on just one more week till max fun drive (laughs) hard to believe it's been a heck of a year since the last one we're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. So how long did you do this particular job? I did this job until Hurricane Katrina. So I started in, it was like almost four years. And then what happened with (laughs) Hurricane Katrina? Like, what happened to the restaurant? What happened to your life? I evacuated during the storm and drove through it. Um, the restaurant was fine. It was one of the one of the lucky like lucky parts of town. Um, I stayed out of New Orleans until the end of October. We were allowed back in, and my house was a total loss. Everything in my house was a loss. Um, And there was still, like, not running water or anything like that. So the guys who went back to the restaurant were cooking and they were cooking food and serving food, um, both in the restaurant and they were cooking for all of the National Guard and all this without running water or proper electricity. 
Um, nobody needs a fancy pastry chef in that kind of environment. So I left and I, I lived a bunch of different places and traveled for about five years and then came back. Where, what, what, what different places? What? Um, I lived in Asheville, North Carolina for almost a year. I was the pastry chef at the Biltmore Estate. And then I went to San Francisco. I spent about three years in San Francisco total. Um, I did a trip where I landed in Rome and went through the Middle East to the uh, Israel-Turkey, Israel-Egypt border. And then I spent uh, a couple months in New Zealand living in a van and like learning about farming. Is this the kind of thing where like, I mean, it's a small community, right? Similar to stand-up. So like over time, you just know everybody. And especially if you're doing something like moving around a little bit and getting different jobs in different cities, you're just sort of connecting with like the whole group of people who does this, especially Mm -hmm. something like high-end pastry. Like it just feels like that would be an even smaller community of people that have that skill set. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I can, I feel really lucky that cooking is a international thing and I can go almost anywhere and know or at least recognize somebody's work and or name. Oh, that's so rad. That is actually very different than what I do because so much of my job is involves um, speaking English and having like a localized sense of what's funny or context. You know, I mean, uh, so I've I've certainly performed other places, but I but it's but food is yeah like a it's an it's like music. I always I always say that to my my musician friends. It's like people just listen to music in a different way. Nobody it doesn't matter. You don't have to actually right. speak the thing. It doesn't who right. cares because you can still get it. Um, and yeah, food's obviously the same way. Interesting. I've never thought about comedy in that context. Yeah, yeah. It's so regional. It's so specific. It's yeah. so uh, it's amazing to be able to connect elsewhere. Because it's like even Canada, where, where yeah. I currently am, it's like all the reference points are different. Wild, I know, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it makes my job seem easy. No, I don't think that's. Yeah, no, that's, I feel like my job's. I don't pretty, think that's I, the, I don't think that's I, the takeaway. I, 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 take, I get to bake cookies and make people happy. That's all I have. So, that's well, pretty I mean, easy. <laughs> I get to make people happy too. So we both yeah. we both win. Yeah. Um, do you, when you're traveling like that, do you also, do you also like make it a huge point to eat the local stuff? Like I, I would, and is, yeah. is, is there a, besides Southern cuisine, is there, is there something that like had an impact on you or that you, especially during like that time in your life where you're traveling around, where you right. felt like you were really taking something in and it was really affecting you? Uh, yeah, I think. The the biggest gift I've been given through travel is understanding like flavor combinations and spices. And, you know, when I was in Israel, I had like quince prepared with strawberry, which is not something that can happen here because it just grows in different places at different times. Um, and like that, that like flavor memory and and understanding food on a level like how to eat it the way it grows is like invaluable to me. That's very, that's very cool. And my favorite pastries in the world were probably in Turkey, honestly. What do they like have a, in Turkey? Like, well, the, like flaky, the croissant. Flaky yeah. pastry stuff? 
Yeah, the croissant originated in Turkey and the French. I did not you know, know that. They took it, but that you know, they still do it better. Wild. Yeah. So if you're is in that- Turkey, get croissants. Like don't skip. Okay, this is really good info. <laughs> um oh my god, this stuff is so specific. It's like every I'm I'm just because it's all stuff that like like now I'm thinking about like is it called is this what it's called is it called proofing what is it called when it, what is it called when or is it proofing. laminating what is it but also what is it when you're like <laughs> putting the butter into the layers that's lamination that's lamination. oh I got there it was yeah, the second word it. I used yeah uh, amazing what's proofing proofing is when you let dough it's rise rising up yep yes. nailed it yep got nailed it, it. <laughs> but nailed like it. where you're where you're like flipping the dough over and putting butter into it like a million times this is yes. this is this is how you make a croissant correct mm-hmm. yes yes and that takes like forever it's uh, a slow process mine take mine take two and a half days your croissants take two and a half days yeah what happens in the two and a half days you have to let it rot because you don't want like a tough like chewy you, okay. you want a certain chew okay so croissant has a certain chew and you you know, the perfect croissant, they say, has 999 layers. Nope, I and certainly so, don't know that. Yeah, but well, you going. do now. <laughs> um, so you make the dough. Uh-huh. You have to let it rest because uh-huh. you're like, you're you're trying not to overdevelop the gluten, which is the protein. Got it. Which is, you know, the thing that makes it tough. So what what is it that needs to rest? Is it that the butter is getting too hot? Is it like that the dough, What's what? It, what has to rest? At this point, the dough has to rest so that it can relax and the gluten doesn't continue to develop. And then you roll it out and you add butter and you fold it and you fold it. And then you let it rest again for for both the dough and the butter because you want to do it while it's all like the perfect temperature. Otherwise, the dough gets too warm and breaks and you ruin your layers or the butter squirts out. It becomes impossible. So, yeah. And you have to, depending on how you fold it, because there's a bunch of different ways to fold it is how many times you have to like roll it out, fold it, roll it out, fold it. And then you have to account for like when you roll it out and cut it and then you roll it into the croissant shape, how many layers are you getting? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> how strong are your arms? Do you want to arm I, wrestle next time we see each other? I, yeah, we can do that. I call, I refer to them as the laminators. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> instead of guns. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. That's me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I mean. You don't even know where to go. I don't even know where to go, actually, like truly. (laughs) Okay. So your croissants take two and a half days. Yeah. Um, Is that the longest? Is there something that you make that takes longer than that? No, I think that's the longest, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That's the most, like any sort of laminated pastry like that takes, it takes a minute for sure. And then you know how fast I eat it? Fucking a second and a half. As long as you enjoy it. That's all that matters. <laughs> That's all that matters. Do you have that in your house? Like, do you like, do you do this for yourself at home? I don't. I only when I'm writing cookbooks and recipe testing. Um, I have been working with my friends own a shop here called Pop and Dutch. And they have a little bakery counter. So they've let me play and have fun all summer. Um, so I've been doing it there more frequently. And P-Town's a big fan of the laminated dough. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any for sale right now? 
Is it? Are you currently working, or are you? Are you? No, no, we're close, close today. Season? But this weekend, I'm going to do. Uh, I did cinnamon rolls the first time I got to experiment, and we sold out. More than half of them were sold while they were still in the oven, like they weren't even <laughs> ready yet. <laughs> so, so, gonna, so they're going to be back this weekend. They're going to be back this weekend. My wife and her friends are literally in P Town this weekend. I'm going to tell them. Tell they, them what time by. do they have to? What time do they have to go line up? Uh, we open at nine o'clock Friday, Saturday, right. Sunday. Yeah, I'll tell them to line up Saturday, Saturday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell them to line yeah. up the night before. Yeah, I'll feed them Stay biscuits while they wait. Stay out there, the brisk, <laughs> brisk, yeah, cold. Yeah, because that wind is 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 no joke. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, cool. It's fun. Yeah, I I can tell that you think it's fun, and I'm not. It's yeah. like it's fun to eat this. It's just like such a different. It's so it's the orientation is so different, but then I feel like there's so, so many personality traits are like, like you're very driven. Per- so it's, it's really cool to talk to you because I'm like, this is a person I have a lot in common with, but we are like opposite sides of the like orientation toward life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, cool. So after you're doing all that traveling, then you said you, you went, went back to New Orleans. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So I came back to New Orleans in 2010 and started right back at Restaurant August. And in the five years I was gone, um, the guy who owned the restaurant group grew it and he had nine or 10 restaurants at that time. So I took over August and redid the menu, got it all where it needed to be. And then I started doing menus for all the other restaurants. So it grew to a point- Total, fully the menu or the pastry? The pastry, the, the pastry menu. The, pa- the pastry menu. Yes. Got it. It's there- like, again, this is like not something I even previously was aware of that that's like. Right. So that's a whole person that just does that does that part. And then there's another yes. chef that does the other. Yes. Part. I mean, that's becoming less and less common. Uh, okay. pastry, pastry chefs are generally the first to go in a restaurant that's maybe not performing the way it needs to. Like, sure. Um, but. Most most restaurants at a certain level have a pastry chef, and Got most it. restaurant okay. uh, restaurant groups that have multiple restaurants generally have at least one person that oversees all of their uh, menu offerings in all their restaurants. So, if you were overseeing, you said nine or ten different restaurants, and at that's like, yeah, there's like six desserts on all those menus, which I'm assuming mm-hmm. are also not overlapping and the same, right? Right. So you're like coming up with 60 desserts. Yes. And some of them, you know, there's a Italian restaurant, there's a a French Provençal restaurant, there's a Israeli restaurant. And so it's like, it was also really fun to like pull from all the travel experience and build, build all these different menus of very different things that still, even though they were mine, they have to like coincide with the chef's vision and their style right. and like put the punctuation right. mark at the end of the sentence they've written, you know? Totally. Yeah, that makes sense. And how often were those desserts changing? Most of them seasonally, at least, at least four or five, six times a year, depending on the season. That is so many recipes a year. It's a lot. That is so many different <laughs> desserts a year. It is. It is a lot. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. I, wor- I worked. I worked a lot for a long time. Yeah, I would imagine because I, because obviously you're also testing things a zillion times before it gets to the place where you want to add it to the menu or yep. approve yep. it. 
And so we got up to 18 restaurants. And so I was, all right. I I was doing that while also opening my own. So I opened Willie Jean in New Orleans in 2015, where I had control of the entire savory and sweet menu. Oh, is that what it's called? The savory menu? Yeah. Or, oh, savory. Wait a minute. That's what it's called? The savory and sweet? Yeah, like like food food is savory, they say. Right. um, Right. So savory and dessert. So Got it. And you have control of the whole menu at Mm -hmm. Will Jean. So you had your own restaurant. Did you physically work at that restaurant? Oh, yeah. Because again, I know you were like overseeing things. I don't know like what that means in terms of your actual time in a kitchen at a specific place. At Willa Jean, I was there, I mean, for the first year, I was there pro- anywhere from 4 to 6 a.m. to midnight, almost seven days a week. I don't know if you know this. That's actually too much time. Yeah, it's it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, your name's on the line. Yeah, 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 of course, of course. Everybody wants you to fail. Like, Oh, is that true? Well, does everybody want you to fail? The dude that that basically funded the restaurant sat me down right before we opened and said, what's plan B? This is never going to work. What a nice... Yeah. Like I said, most of my career is out of spite, so... Hey, me too. Yeah. I'm actually working to close that wound and let go of that because I feel like it has given other people too much control over my life, to be honest, in my own personal case. Because if it's like, if I'm living my life at you, what choices am I even making for myself? This is is something that I have realized in my post 40 years old time time frame. But right up until that, I, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, was living only to bother others. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's been the last two years of journey for me is like how to let all of that go. Yeah. And like get get right with me and figure out who I actually am without all of that. Totally. I mean, I've used non-acceptance as an engine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's because of my sexuality, my gender, and then also like misogyny on top of that, you know. So it's like every all of those layers and the non-acceptance that I felt there, I turned it into the fuel to survive all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is I have found it to be, it's just, it just, to me in my own life, I just felt like I was like, okay, enough, like, like enough of that, you know, especially, I think actually, especially as I got to a place where I have friends, I like my haircut, I'm on network television. I mean, you know, I think I felt such, I felt like such a goon for such a long time and Mm -hmm. like the wrong thing and ugly. And, and then it's like, at this point, if you're looking for outside, if I was looking for outside folks to change their mind about me, I could just accept that that had happened. Like, politically, I am no longer illegal many places. Right, right. I, like, get harassed less, and somebody pays me to take my shirt off on TV. So, like, if I if if I'm living my life angry that... I think other people think I'm disgusting. This, these, these are all the cues for me to let go of that if I would like to. Yeah, absolutely. And then on top of the external cues, it's also like the internal suffering, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's where I got with Willie Jean is, you know, we opened, we were wildly successful. I was 
you know, as far as industry standards go, I was the top of my game. Like I won the James Beard Award. I was getting book deals. Like I got invited to all the events and got to do all the fun things. And none of that did anything for me, like on a personal level. Like I had been chasing those things so long because I was told it's what you're supposed to chase, but you're never going to get it. That like once I actually got it, I didn't care if I had it or not. And so that's, that's how I knew it was time for me to like step away for a little while. And that's where you find yourself now in P-Town. Yeah, now now I'm in P-Town just being gay and doing crimes, as they say. Are you in a situation where, like, because of the success of that restaurant, you can take a minute to reevaluate? Is Absolutely. That the situation yeah, in? yeah. I'm like very, financially, you can yeah, take a second. Very, very lucky with the way that all panned out. So, yeah. I mean, it was a wildly successful restaurant, and it it was timed right when COVID was deemed over the the first time in New Orleans. So everything was sort of on the up and up and up. So, um, I got, I got. Best case scenario and walking away. Got it. Yeah. yeah. And so that has given you a chance to what? For- like, what are you doing with your time? <laughs> I'm breathing. Yeah. I mean, I'm um, serious. Like, yeah, how no. are you doing that? Like, what are you doing? To- I mean, it took like no joke. It took a year for me to stop waking up panicking about what I was supposed to be doing or what I wasn't doing and what I could be doing and like some measure of performance, some measure of uh, just being productive. Like it took a solid year of not uh, to learn how to not wake up and be like, Oh shit, I'm not doing anything. I'm going to be irrelevant. I'm going to waste away like blah, blah. So now that I'm over that um, I get up, I take a lot of walks on the beach with my dogs um, I read a lot, which is really nice. It's something I've never really had time to do. I sleep for the first time in my life. Um, totally. And, yeah. And I really have a new way and I've learned a new way to, to communicate with people and befriend people and like really be able to drop in and be present and not have this like ticker tape of what, what else I need to be doing, what's going on at the restaurant, what's what's on fire, what's like, and just be able to be still and be present for the first time in 44 years that I can say. Right. That, yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me also because, I mean, the lifestyle that you're talking about and then starting at, at 18 um, to however many years ago you made this, so a couple years ago, so like over 20 years of this, another thing that I'm imagining is true is that's true in my job also is that like that's inclusive of we- that work time is also inclusive of weekends and holidays you know like in the restaurant industry when it's the same thing for like when people come home from work like or go out at night like that mm-hmm. they're going to see my job um, right so like i would i would work all day doing other things like you know if i was writing a book or if i was like just answering emails like i had like a, essentially like an office job where I would be on a computer, but then at night I would do my other job and I would do it 
nights and weekends almost ceaselessly from when I was 19 to like when the to when COVID hit. It's like yep. the first time I ever took any consistent weekends or or evenings off because um there was because we were, it was actually legal to go anywhere on nights or weekends um and I. I just didn't even I don't even think I let myself realize that like other people um, had closer friendships Mm -hmm. or like a more balanced sense of life because they were because I wasn't really at I wasn't really having those experiences like, yeah, I was I was at the thing working. And so. Right. That's the same in the restaurant industry. You just worked all the time. Like there's no breaks. You're like just any. Yeah. Anytime there's something fun going on or something to celebrate or a reason to be out means I'm at work. Yeah. So this like, is, it's like in some ways you're kind of having a teenagehood or a college experience, right? Oh, now. yeah. I mean, yeah, I've done my best to to do it that way. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that's true, right? Like you, I mean. Yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, I remember, you know, some of my last interviews when I was, you know, owning the restaurant and working full time and you know, on the circuit of all the food festivals and the chef conferences and this and that. And people are always like, what do you do in your spare time? What do you like to do for fun? And I could never answer that question. Like, all I did was work. If I wasn't at work, I was reading about food. I was researching food. I was writing menus. I was like the way you do during the day. Yeah. The, the, also the, I mean, this is really interesting because it's like, so the James Beard Award, is that, does that have a, does that have like a financial component or is it just no. it's like a, I know it's like a medal, right? You right. got like a little medal. A little medal. Yeah. And then, okay. So it doesn't have a financial component, but, but obviously in your industry is like top of the game. Yeah. Like, like, like it's a Grammy or an Emmy. It's the same. It's the food equivalent of that, I would say. Okay. And then, so once, do you feel like. Like, given the, you know, the amount of work you've done and the success that you've had and then in books and, like, your own restaurant and all this stuff, is it, like, now you could sort of do whatever you want and you would have the, like, cachet to to do that? Like, is, it, is that sort of where you are? Like, if you, like, for instance, if you went to investors and said, like, I want to open a new restaurant or if you, is it kind of just like you're at the place where that is possible? Yeah. I mean, it feels uncomfortable just, just cause I don't like to admit that side of it, but yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely true. If I, I've been toying with the idea of opening something new, but I have to answer all the whys for myself. Like, why do I want to do that? What do I want to come out of it? How am I actually going to contribute to the community, whatever community that is, um, and do it better than what I came up in and better, even, even better than what I tried to create at my former restaurant. Like, yeah, I need to, I need to be able to answer, answer all of that rather than just be like, Oh, I really like cooking. I'm going to open something. Cause that's, that's how everything goes wrong in my opinion. Right. And I understand also that, yeah, sure. I mean, of I bet that does feel uncomfortable because um, I don't know. I mean, maybe a fucking dude wouldn't feel this way. I don't fucking know. I don't like, yeah, because like there's a there's a shame almost in being Mm -hmm. like, like some of the some of the details of your life of like, I was so successful that I can take a 
brief period of time off before yes. deciding what to do next. And like during that time, I'm going to like use my time well to get to know myself, to come up with like a good business plan that also includes like why from like a from like a spiritual perspective, because it's mm -hmm. not necessarily like something that's required, but it's something I get to do. So if I get to make right. choices out of the ether using anything, if I'm at that place now, then like, what am I going to choose? I just, I don't even know that it's like, we're sort of dancing around it, but I kind of feel like if you were a guy in your field, yeah. I don't feel like we'd be having this conversation the same way. I feel like, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just me, but I feel like you'd kind of be like, yeah, I fucking did the thing, and now I get to rest. Do, what, do whatever I, I want. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of truth in that. I I've seen it happen so many times, and I've seen so many women fight and fight and fight to get funded for projects who are extraordinarily talented and have proven themselves previously not be able to get money. And then men who have had five or six failed restaurants because they're not great and they don't know what they're doing just get refunded and refunded and refunded and just opening new projects all the time. Um, and there's a there's a lot of room for growth for that, I think. And, you know, I've been having a lot of conversations with women in the industry of, like, how do we, as, as women, and, and a lot of the, the women who are top bill on their restaurants. Like you don't actually know that a white dude owns that restaurant because this person's name is in lights who only owns right. like 7% of the actual business. Like how right. do you change that? Right. And that's, and also I'm, we're not really speaking about like, not that this, not that my audience cares, but it's not, this isn't just like a general, like anti-men statement, but more no. just a reflection of my, as an outsider's knowledge of like how male dominated your industry is. Like it's incredibly male dominated, has always been and continues to be massively male dominated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's kind of what I'm speaking about is like the, when, you know, when you're somebody who comes in and changes that, it doesn't mean you don't internalize all of the systems that you have walked through as you were changing it. Right. Absolutely. I guess my final, like, we're going to kind of wrap up in a minute, but my, I guess my next question is like, okay, so there is this other, we, you sort of referenced this earlier, but there is this other side of things that is now available. There are celebrity chefs now, like there are people who would abandon a more traditional cooking career mm -hmm. for like a television cooking career or like Correct. a, you know, um, TikTok cooking career. Yeah. I don't know. And like, I'm curious about how you think about that. Like, is your heart and soul still in the brick and mortar establishment or the like, you know, paper copy of recipes that like, is it, <laughs> is your, is your focus still there? Are you at all interested in this other sort of less, uh, I mean, grounded I, in the thing? Yeah, yeah. I am interested in all, of, like, as, as a food person who has owned restaurants and now study business, um, I'm obviously interested in all of it. And how does it all work together? Like, I signed up for TikTok, but I've never, like, I'm one of the most awkward, socially awkward people on planet Earth. So I don't really know what I had to offer to TikTok, but I think what some people are doing there is just absolutely incredible. And if they can make revenue streams out of it, then God bless them. What about, like, the TV chef versus the chef chef. That's not my cup of tea, personally. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's very real. You know, they're, they're, I think they're two different things actually. They're very, yeah. They're and very, I know people very who different. are really successful in that other arena and who mm-hmm. have, it's like early in their career that just branched for them. And so they mm-hmm. have like less restaurant experience and more right. like actual TV cooking experience. Like that yeah. is a thing. But so, there, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of actual like acting or like turning up the volume on your personality, like certain totally parts yes. of your personality. And I'm just not good at that. And I know it. And I also say fuck way too often when I get excited. <laughs> and then everybody's like, just compete. Just like, I don't have really a competitive bone in my body. So I don't, I don't feel any well, desire on. to do that. It's only you, with myself. I'm you just competitive I was just going to say, you just compete in another way. You want to compete in the actual kitchen. Yeah. With yourself. Like, with I mean, my, but, with and myself. that is, that is incredibly competitive. It's just a different yeah. thing. It's just yeah. a totally different skill set. Yeah. I want everybody to c- compete with themselves around me and do the best that they can. Like, we can all do great. Like, I don't need to be better than you. I don't need to be whatever, like any basis of comparison. I just, I want to be the best of me. Right. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Kelly, it's been so great to talk to you. Um, and the good news is now that we know each other, I can't wait to like see what continues to happen for you. If yeah, it so. includes hanging out in Provincetown and getting to know yourself more, yeah. we will talk about that. And if it okay. includes an endeavor, we will talk about that. But it's, I think, you know, either one um, or whatever else that is unnamed that's that's coming down the line. It's really amazing what you've been able to achieve and your biscuits are good. Thank you. Thank you. I'll make I'll make you better ones. Those were my best. Okay, I'll, so. All right, okay. All right. Can I have your can I can I try one of your your uh croissant? Absolutely. Okay. Just give me three days notice. You got it. All right. You got it. Good. Good. It was a total pleasure. <laughs> All right. Good to see oh, you. Oh, bef- wait, hang on. Shoot. I keep forgetting this lately because I'm forgetting my own podcast. Before I send you back into your day, I just want to ask you to shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made you think you could be who you are today. Oh, wow. I think there's two. There's Can I do two? Yeah. Okay. So one of the people who for years has been instrumental in me, like sort of coming into myself in every different level imaginable is V Spear. They have a tick. They're a TikTok person. Um, they have under the desk news under the desk. Totally. News. Um, one of the greatest humans on planet earth period. And then in my P time town and part of why I stayed here, part of why I sort of survived giving up everything I knew about myself is our state senator, Julian Sear, who's like this queer, amazing man who's working on mental health bills and uh, trans health care getting written into law and like all these really, really amazing things. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Two outstanding humans. That's awesome. And I'm yeah. glad you have that support. I do too. I am too. And that you, you know, and that you, that you feel supported in this, uh, choice to fucking give it all up and start again with yourself yeah you're killing it thank you thanks kelly